just up to the mic. Hello, my name is Rick. I'm here with Chase and Jeffrey. Say hi, guys. Hey, what's up? Good evening. Hello, this is a test. We need to make sure that the volume is correct. So I'm talking a little bit longer, going a little up in volume, seeing if this works, going a little down in volume, seeing if that is too quiet, and then back at normal. Uh, we'll see how this goes. I am using this as the new intro song. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Halo's Heaven Radio. My name is Rick Sodras, and I'm really happy to be here with Chase Kamura. Hey, what's going on, guys? And Jeffrey Tan. Hello, everyone. Hey, guys, we're all here today to be giving you the good, the bad, and the meh, as we always do. Jessica won't be joining us today. In her place, you have this guy. <laughs> oh, we are going to be... Starting with the bad, as usual, and as she always says, let's just jump right into it. So, you guys want to start with the hitters or the pitchers? Let's uh, start with the pitchers, because they yeah. were extra bad. That was why we lost, so. Yes. Alright, and so, <laughs> as far as pitchers go, who wants to go first? Who, who, who thinks that they know who the worst pitcher was? Well, I think mm. the, the worst pitcher is the guy that's no longer on the team, right? I mean, he was bad enough that he got designated for assignment, right? Uh, in a way, it's a little bit like a eulogy. It's kind of like this is like the send-off to Cody Allen. It's like, you know, he kind of cropped us to this right before he left. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, his appearance and his one appearance this week, it was quintessential Cody Allen. Just Ooh. completely disastrous. Nothing, nothing else to say, really. Well, we're going to go into this a little bit later, but I think it was all part of the plan. And so let's go ahead and move on for a second because we'll, we'll get back to him. Uh, there was another person who was, who was a huge part of that game. Uh, let's go into Luis Garcia. Man, I don't even know where to begin with Luis. It's like he seems like he should be that like super dependable, like at least like solid major league reliever. Throws 97 still. He's still throwing hard, but, like, dude's just giving up way more bombs than he ever did with Philly. Like, just, oh, my God. I can't even <laughs> – I can't even – I didn't even know the line was that bad. Yeah, maybe when guys are able to see his stuff, as Rick likes to mention a lot, he throws 96, but it's straight as an arrow. Um, they, they don't have to swing as hard, and maybe they can put good swings on the ball. And they happen to go over the fence with the juiced ball now, and because of the fact that he is throwing at such high velocity, and they don't have to try. Not, not that they don't have to try, but it's easier to hit him, in a sense, because he's throwing so fast. Right. Well, I mean, that's what one of like the like super enticing things about the trade with Alvarez and Garcia was. You know, he had the Garcia had that super high ground ball tendency. Uh, he didn't give up home runs. And, you know, you think you taking him out of uh, Citizens Bank ballpark, you know, might do him, like, a little bit of favors, but it's just been, like, a total disaster. I wanted to like the trade. Like, I saw the reason to do it, but, like, I I can't defend it now. He's, like, been so bad for, like, long enough to... <laughs> well, I, I can defend it for a second. Um, In his defense, he managed to suck without giving up any home runs this week. Right, so, so he's improving <laughs> as opposed to exactly. sucking by giving up home runs. He's sucking by not giving up home runs. Or is that... His that's his regressing, whip was actually. Three, okay, his whip was three, but it's not entirely his fault. Okay, mm. um, it's also because the Rays are really good, right? Yes, right? we should give credit where credit is due. 
Exactly. I I'm sure he'd only given that. up two if it was against a normal team. But I mean, like, if you if you want some <laughs> positives, like no walks and one strikeout, like the zero walk per, zero walk per nine <laughs> nine nine Ks per nine innings. Like, you know, if you want some peripherals, man, that's oh, yikes! This is like depressing. I'm just like looking up this. <sighs> Speaking yeah, you... of peripherals, Taylor Cole has a very nice FIP this year, but. His ERA, especially the past week, has blown. What do you have to say about it, Jeffrey? I know you were very uh, bullish on his second inning today. <laughs> yeah, you know, Taylor Cole, when, when uh, Allen was designated for assignment, Cole had a sub-one whip last year. And the thing with the thing with bullpen management is it's easier not to make bad decisions when all the relief pitchers are just the same. So if all the relief pitchers are good, it's really hard to make a bad decision because you either choose that good guy or that good guy. When all the relief pitchers are bad, like mainly everyone who was available on Sunday was bad because Buttry and Robles weren't available, it's hard to make a bad decision. And Taylor Cole, although he's not as bad as the others in a sense, it was fine to go to him for a second inning. He's shown that he can do it before. He's a multi uh, inning relief pitcher and he just got unlucky today some well-placed I mean, ground balls i mean i i'm in agreement like i i didn't have an issue with the second inning like i think for the most part that's always been kind of the plan with cole uh i mean that's what he that's what they basically had him do all last year uh i don't know it's just been like i mean what ever since that uh minnesota series is when he kind of started going yeah. off the rails yeah i don't know but he, he'd been pretty solid up until right before he got demoted obviously and then I don't know. This this is his first appearance since getting called back up. Or second second appearance. How many appearances has it's his first? His oh, it first is his first since okay. Allen yeah, was gone. So. Yeah. Wow. Just, yeah. Just one point right. two innings, uh, two runs allowed Sunday. We'll see if he turns well, the it first around. First inning was very solid. I was not very happy to see him in the second mm. inning um, because from when I was looking at the game logs, I mean his past couple pitching mm. appearances have sucked altogether. So it was kind of hard for me to. Uh, take any meaningful data from that other than he's just been bad lately but <laughs> um i i in my personal opinion i like seeing him throw fewer innings than uh 1.1 um i was fairly confident after the first person got on they should have gone, gone ahead and switched they didn't do that second base runner got on they still didn't take him out and i was like okay well at this point, we're we're trying to make sure that the five three curse continues. So, <laughs> well, let, I mean, let me ask you this because, like, I mean, you could have taken Cole out, but at this point, you got to think that the bullpen is gassed, and you weren't really gonna. I mean, like Jeffrey was saying, like, you can't bring Butchery out. You weren't gonna bring Robles out, obviously, if you're down on the road. Like, I basically think it was just a necessity to try to get as much out of him as you can. Um, you it. To me, it seems like they're trying to keep Noe and Cam as the sort of new dependable guys, which is a little weird to say. But um, I, I, I can see where Osmus, sorry, Big Brain Osmus was coming from. <laughs> Big Brain Brad, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Triple B. I, yeah, you know, <laughs> Big Baller Brand. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I get it. Like, it's like, I mean, you're gonna throw out like one of our better relievers in like kind of like not garbage time, but like. You know, what were what you going to do? You're just going to, like, waste another bullpen arm. Well, the the thing that I was thinking was, 
Um, if you're going to use a guy by any means necessary, it usually shouldn't be like in a one-run deficit sort of scenario, in my opinion. Um, Justin Anderson is one of the least used relievers we have, and I don't even like him very much. Um, but I still felt like that would be a better situation. After all, we were in the, what, was that the eighth inning? And it was the eighth inning, because the ninth is when we almost tied it back up. Yeah, man. And so in the bottom of the eighth, I mean, there's only two innings left to go. You know Robles is, well, maybe Robles wouldn't have come out for the ninth. I don't know. Um, I think he probably should have, but that's also a debate whether or not he should have been used earlier that series anyway. <laughs> but I think we can move on now. Um so were there any other pitches you guys thought were uh, really actually bad, or were they more just meh? Yeah, for all move the, on to the hitters, if so. For all the talk about the bullpen, I think those three, Cole, Garcia, and Allen, they were the only ones who were actually bad. A lot of mehs, but only those guys yeah. were bad. I'm, I'm going to agree with that. So let's go on to the hitters then. So, Jeffrey, why don't you start with your favorite horrible hitter of the week? <laughs> who? Who? I don't know who my favorite hit horrible hitter is supposed to be. <laughs> Just your favorite, whichever one you like the most at sucking. Yeah, I mean, Tovar, who we'll get to later, he yeah. he struck out five times and had five hits. Three of them were doubles. Oh yeah, man, doubles machine. Yeah, but Yo, only, look only... at all the fives and threes on his stat line. Oh my gosh, five only... strikeouts, five hits, three were doubles. It is a sign, I'm telling you. Do we need to go into this conspiracy right now? No, 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 we'll save it for later. But he had a 5, 598 OPS, um, not great. Um, hopefully he won't be playing as much anymore Actually, when Simba better, returns. That's better than I thought it was, actually. I mean, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll round it up to a 600. That doesn't make it seem as bad, but, like, oof. Played um, solid defense. Yeah, you know. It, it, it's borderline bad meh. Okay, well, we're going to come back to him, okay? Because we have I can't some, say anything yes. without spoiling the uh, end. No okay? spoilers. I can't say anything about him without spoiling it because everything I want to say is... I, I just don't know what to say. Like, I, I, I have a lot to say about him, and it's some of it's good, some of it's bad, but it's all spoilers. Okay, well, so. what, who, is your, uh, who is your favorite horrible hitter? Well, you know, I was a big fan of watching Tommy LaStella swing at the first pitch every single time he came at the bat today. And uh, he also had the worst OPS of all the hitters this week. In addition to getting injured, he also managed two hits on 16 at-bats and slugged 188. So it was a really rough week for Tommy LaStella. Future all-star. Yeah, just future all star Stella. <laughs> just not not the kind of performance you're expecting to see from your leadoff guy on most nights, setting the stage in front of Trout and Otani. Uh, hopefully, he bounces back a lot easier pitching next week. Obviously, the Rays and the Dodgers have good guys, and he did. We don't know if the injury is still affecting him because he did miss a couple games. So it's a wait and see game with Stella. He's had the track record to prove it. He's he's been bad this week, but I feel good about him moving forward. I will say this, though, about him. I don't know if you guys speak Spanish or not, but Tommy La Stella is dangerously close to Todas Las Estrellas, which is all the stars. Wow. <laughs> thank thank I you. I you're fluent, man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. 
Um, Thank you. I mean, you know, my my whole thing, and like I'm, I've I've mentioned this on like the daily, like the Halo links and everything. Uh, I do think Lestella will be trade bait, and I swear if he starts turning into a pumpkin right now when we need that trade value to go like to boost up, like that's just gonna be kind of a backbreaker on the season. It's like you know he could he could have gone from our most valuable trade ship to declining in the blink of an eye. That would be hard. That would be a tough pill to swallow because our other guy Cole has also been struggling for a bit now. It hasn't even been the last week. He's been uh, he's looking at a little exposed out there, man. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It wasn't a good week for the Angels trade bait. Uh, we'll see what happens next week. Also, in the bad, although partially wasn't his fault, but still. Even without the bad umpire calls, Luis Renjifo's stats still wouldn't be good. He had 18 at-bats, struck out eight times, 433 OPS. I mean, Max... How many of those eight strikeouts are called their yeah, strikes like, on the on like outside the actual zone, though? Only, like, he gets only so two to burned. Three. Only two to three, though. I mean, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> he's still striking out a lot. Yeah. Only two to three times he's getting burned per 18 at-bats. That's a lot of burns. If you take those out, he's still <laughs> striking out at an enormously crazy rate. That's close to 33%, even without the extra two strikeouts that were a result of bad umpire calls. And plus, he only had three hits. So, I'll say this about Ren Hifo. He did suck this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you have something else you're going to say that you look closer at the stats? <laughs> um, I, I had something I was going to say, and then I had a brain fart. I, so <laughs> I mean, all I'm going to add about Renhipo is like it, it. It sucks because like it looked like he was finally starting to like things were just starting to click. Like he had that monster dinger against Seattle. Uh, he started hitting a couple more doubles, just kind of like or at least like you know threatening better. At, uh, to me, he was having better at bats. He would always get super aggressive early in the count and start swinging out start swinging at pitches outside of the zone and then at that point it's too late and then you know you're down two strikes and that's when you know he gets burned but yeah it's as soon as he started to turn things around it looks like he's starting to crater a little bit which speaking of cratering can we talk about pueo I don't know, man. I kind of thought he was meh. I thought he was meh, too, because he's... I mean, it's it's really rare that future Hall of Famers are placed in the bad category. You know <laughs> what I mean? Oh, man. He just picked, like, the absolute worst time to start not, like, just, like, stop hitting. Like, upped in activation tomorrow. Well, the one thing that I'm going to say about him, and I, I do have something to say about this guy. Um, he keeps getting pulled after, like, one or two plate appearances in a game. Uh, happened again today, Sorry. and I'm not really a big fan of that, especially pulling him in favor of Calhoun, who's been doing even worse. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a weird decision, in my opinion. He his on base percentage was pretty good this week. I mean, he he got on base a lot. It was just kind of just the putting hits together. But I mean, you got to give him more opportunities than what he had ten at bats, like half the at bats of other people. Tovar had the most at bats on the team. What's All up right. with that? No, I mean, <laughs> it's probably because Trout and Otani were walking so much and Tovar doesn't walk. If you look at plate appearances, uh, well, yeah, he's up there too. He's second highest behind Trout. He had more exactly. plate appearances than Otani did. Exactly. 
which is pretty crazy if you think about it. So, anyway, um, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to the meh then for the pitchers, okay? So, as far as meh pitching goes, I think that today's starter definitely falls into that category. I, th- I think he's the perfect definition of a meh pitcher, Griffin Canning, because he had good stuff, both his starts. They were against tough teams, the Dodgers and the Rays. He located decently well, and just the line looks absolutely miserable. Seven runs in 12 innings when it seemed like Griffin Canning was pitching well. And What do you think about that, Rick? Well, he was pitching well is the thing. Um, tons of strikeouts, tons of whiffs. He was missing bats, zero walks on the week. Um, Chase and I were looking a little bit ago, but in his last 30, and in the last 30, Griffin Canning had, what, four walks yeah. in 36 yeah. innings pitched? That's mm-hmm. a walk per nine. That's incredibly good. While still maintaining the strikeouts. Exactly. And so across 12 innings pitched, which is two games of six innings, one was a quality start, one was just shy. I mean, it was it was met in that he gave up a lot of runs, but everything suggests he's better than people are giving him credit for. He's better than just an outside, just barely outside the top 100 pitcher. Like, he's he's got the stuff. He's young, and he's going to definitely improve. Oh, for sure. I totally agree, especially if you look at his whip, only .92. Mm-hmm. Uh, just giving up a lot of extra base hits and a lot of home runs. But Ugh. once again, it is it is the Rays, and they're known for uh, hitting power, especially if you look at a lot of guys in their lineup. They don't really have a lot of the, the on-base types. They just <clears throat> hit dingers. And that's going to be something for Canning to work on, controlling the long ball. But overall, his his other numbers, other than that, look good. And that's why I think he's just the perfect Matt pitcher. Yeah, I just think he, he always seems to have a, that one inning where it was kind of like a, that game against the Dodgers, but it was all, th- all three runs were in that second inning, second or third inning against the Dodgers last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it then, was. you know, he was just gutsy the rest of the way. He had that first and third. I think it was nobody out and got out of it. Um, so that was, like, really good to see. But, uh, he, you know... Today he kind of spread those runs through was it those two innings where the the second or oh, the first and second inning, right? Was when he yeah. first gave up those couple runs. And he gave up one more in like yeah the end yeah, and you know it's just like he he's been having to you know just those one innings where like everything just kind of seems to slip away from him. But I mean it's the long ball like that's the only thing that I keep coming back to it's like, from. From everything we've seen, I mean, honestly, I, I know it's kind of cliche to say that he's just like them because of the UCA, UCLA connection, but, like, he really, really, really reminds me of Trevor Bauer. Like, when I'm watching him pitch, I mean, he generates huge amounts of whiffs. Bauer's kind of had an off season this year, but he's still striking out people right. at an incredible rate. Oh, yeah. Um, he's had a bit of a problem with the long ball as well. Very few walks for him. I mean, it's... It's kind of uncanny to me, but I mean, maybe I'm alone in that in that opinion. But it's been very reminiscent. Of uh, that. A little, a little more likable than Bauer, you know. As a, I, I yeah, have a, <laughs> I have a, I have a you know, easier time rooting for Canning than Bauer. But uh, I mean, I could, you know, that's a, that's a fair comparison. Even I mean, if, I, even if ahead. you even if you look at the other UCLA pair, pitcher, Garrett Cole, who's leading the majors in strikeouts and strikeout rates, he's striking out 13.9 batters per nine innings and his era is it's pedestrian it's 3.67 it's not great by any stretch of the measure and i think one of the things that all three of those pitchers have in common is that their stuff is better than the results 
and some some pitchers just do that. They have really good stuff, but they have mental lapses or they throw bad pitches once in a while. And you, pretty much you have to be almost perfect to put up those zeros every single inning. So uh, that's something to watch out for with Canning. He can, he can look really good in some innings, but if he gives up runs in three separate innings, it's not going to be a good start. It's just going to be an average start. And for someone with his swing and miss stuff, like Rick mentioned, 16 swings and misses today, he's just got to be better. And that's something that hopefully he can improve on. Well, I mean, I think uh, you both kind of mentioned it, and it's just kind of like an over, kind of like a, I don't know. For me, it's just been like there hasn't been a whole lot of dominating pitching performances this year. Like like you mentioned, like Cole, uh, he's been striking out a ton of guys, but like, you know, kind of average numbers. Bauer, again, like everything to give you the idea that he should be dominating, but again, just kind of average numbers. He had a complete uh, game shutout today. Yeah, he did have the complete game shutout today. All right, so those um, numbers will go down. But just just on the season, like you know, it doesn't it just doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of just with the offensive explosion. It's like it's kind of hard to hold him. And, I, and you know, like he's a he's like a rookie. Like I mean, the fact that he's pitching this well and showing us this sort of stuff. Like he had a bad week, but you know, I'll take meh. But obviously, I'm super high on Canning. I'm buying the Canning stock. He'll be fine. Oh yeah, definitely buying yeah. the stock on him. Um. Ooh. Oh yeah, this is this is a meh. Uh, this is like my ultimate meh guy. Maybe even more so than Skaggs. Uh, Felix Pena is my ultimate meh. Um, I don't. I just don't really know what's uh, the whole opening thing is starting to. I think it's kind of slipping away a little bit, especially if we do end up having to have Luis Garcia and then Felix Pena. Um, he's not pitching deep into ball games anymore. Um, what was it? Uh, he, yeah, it hasn't really even been the walks lately. He's just been getting knocked around. Well, the thing is, I don't even know if I consider him meh actually looking at it. I mean, honestly, everything about that looks bad to me. Like, he didn't go very deep Whoa. as a primary. He went 3.2 innings pitched, with gave up two runs. I mean, that's that's <laughs> not very impressive. He had a 3.53 batting average against a 1.91 whip. You know, looking back on that, maybe I'd say he was actually pretty bad. It, it he actually t- got the win. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. wins. But he only got the he only got the win because of the opener. Yeah. Otherwise, he didn't pitch long enough. Yeah. The other thing you have to think about, I, I generally think the opener is a good idea. Um, use one of a solid reliever to start the game, get through the first inning. The other thing you have to think about when using an opener, however, is does the manager maybe feel more comfortable taking out the starter in the fifth or sixth inning when they've gone one fewer inning than they otherwise would have, whereas had the inning been shifted over and the opener not been used, the manager might have let them work through their issues. And that might be contributing to some of the bullpen uh, problems that we're having if they have to work extra because uh, the manager, Osmus, is taking out the the bulk guy earlier than he otherwise would be. That's very true. Because, I mean, yeah, because if you see a, a regular starter go 3.2 innings, it's absolutely disastrous performance. But if Pena goes... 3.2 after a 1, 1.1 inning uh, opener appearance, then it's it's like the 5th or the 6th inning, and everything looks better, but you've already used up one of your best bullpen guys, and now you need to rely on the back end of the bullpen to get it to the 8th and the ninth. So that might be just some mindset shift to think about, and I don't think it's Pena's fault per se. I think 
he had a pretty mad performance, but just something to watch out for in the future. Well, here's something that I just noticed. Um, Buttry's line looks almost identical to Pena's. Like, in a lot of ways. Well, it's identical in innings and runs, so that's how they end up with the same 4.9. And the same amount of hits. All right. Different number of games, <laughs> 4 to 1. The whip is higher. Well, the batting average against is the same. I mean, like, I mean the, the thing with Buttry right now is just he has no idea where it's going. Yeah. You know, he, he just looks like a wild, hard-throwing reliever right now. Like, this doesn't... Like, you can pump 99, but, like, major league hitters can lay off 99 miles an hour. What was, like... I mean... He had a, I know he had the four-pitch walk to Seager last week, and that kind of seemed to, that appearance against the Dodgers has kind of carried over to some shaky appearances against the Rays. But And Chase and I were talking about this just before we uh, started this, but um, Buttry over his last 30, um, 12.2 innings pitched, 4.26 ERA. Just for the past month, he's looked shaky. I mean, not to... To take an overall broader perspective on this this whole buttery thing, how he's struggling, maybe from overuse, or maybe just he's experiencing the regular sophomore slump, not being able to locate. If we got this version of buttery, the guy who's allowing all the the walks, the hits, he's not being able to locate for Ian Kinsler, that would still be a good trade. And oh, yeah, I definitely. think I think this is kind of what was more expected when we made that trade. You have to think about. The Red Sox aren't giving up this guy because he's going to be an elite relief pitcher. He's a lottery ticket, and he has the stuff definitely to put it together. But right now, he's just working through some issues. He's still a young pitcher, um, and I feel confident in him overall. It's just disheartening to see at the moment because the bullpen's so shaky, and we need him right now. Oh yeah, I'm completely confident in him. Um, it's like it's right now. I'm kind of afraid to see him every now and then. I think maybe it's a mechanics issue, but yeah. I'm completely confident in him going forward. I just, oh, yeah. lately, like, every single time he's come into the game, I've been like, oh, crap. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like the exact same feeling about canning. It's like, you know, in the long-term sort of outlook, you know it's most likely going to be fine. Like, you still feel confident in him, but, you know, it's just one of those stretches. And maybe that, maybe there is, like, no actual, like, like I mean, Rick said, like, you know, maybe it could just be, like, mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, like, this happens to every single good pitcher. Like, sometimes they just kind of get in, like, a little bit of a rut. I'm sure in, like, I mean, even by his next appearance, he'll start becoming that sub-two ERA buttery that comes in and pitches one and two-thirds innings and throwing 99 with movement. and So, I mean, rough, you know, a rough week, but the outlook is still plenty fine, and, I mean, I'd still consider him our best reliever. Yeah, by far. The, the, the last one, guy that yeah. I would probably say was meh would be Tyler Skaggs, as we as we alluded to earlier. Dude, ultimate um, meh. I... <laughs> The thing is, the results ended up pretty good. Um, I'm not going to say that two walks and five strikeouts across five innings with a win, three earned runs. I mean, that's not that's not terrible. But it's the seven hits allowed. That game, yes, we got the win, but I never once thought we were going to win that game. <laughs> the entire time, I was dreading the next inning. Well, that was the that was the first game of the series. Um, I think that was just kind of like that was just kind of a tone setter. I'm pretty sure that was the first game of the series. I could be getting it mixed up, but um, I went in with zero expectations for the series, uh, and I think just kind of seeing them labor and do all of that was I don't know solidifying that feeling I had that we had no chance against Tampa Bay, and uh, but I mean. 
you know, he, he fought through his stuff. He gave us just a very Skaggs performance. You know, he's got a couple guys on, gets out of it, keeps us in games, I guess. Like, I, I don't know what to, like, this, to me, this is just who, like, Tyler Skaggs is now. I hate to say it, but. Yeah, you almost even, I mean, it might be, with the state of the bullpen right now, it might even be preferable for him to go another inning to get through six, even if he gives up five runs, because the offense is getting better. I don't know. It's just, it's just seeing five innings. It really, if every you look down the board, it's five innings, five innings, five innings. It just it kills because it's happening every single day, and that means the bullpen has to go when you're at home four more innings, or if you're on the road and you're losing three more innings, and we just don't have that day in and day out. So it's well, well, right. And I mean, I what was that? Uh, this last stretch before that day off after the Dodgers series, it was like twenty something games in a row because of that makeup game with the Cubs. Yeah, that they had to make on the road. So I and like and you know for the most part, it's that's just been like the status quo for like starting pitching has just been four or five innings, and then you gotta you know relievers are pitching multiple days in a row. Sometimes you know one plus innings, especially in like Butchery and Robles's case. Um, and then, you know, the opener, like if you have to have the opener every like fifth game, along with all of the pitchers not going deep, like that's just like a recipe for disaster. So it's like, is it weird to say that like, it's, it's not even like barely mid June and we're starting to get like a fatigue. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think you'll definitely start to see going back in the sense, like the mentality across baseball flipping because just this, this workload, this type of workload for the bullpen can't happen over the course of a season and as you said chase we're only in june and that's kind of why even though he only allowed one run i'm going to put andrew heaney in the mech category too because that was that was a game that we had control of friday's game and he just didn't have his best stuff somehow only allowed one run and giving the bullpen four innings is just way too many and ultimately as as you guys know they blew it that game was very disheartening at the time. Predictable. Especially since we got to Blake Snell, of all people. That's what made it more predictable. But, when you look at how Heaney pitched, it is incredibly surprising how the game turned out. Well, how, how actually, how he how his performance turned out, and then how the game turned out. Yeah. Um, only two strikeouts in five innings for a guy who had thrown, what, like, he had had two ten. or three consecutive yeah, games of ten? Oh, yeah. And then yeah. three walks. Um, that game was surprisingly nail-biting for how different the score was, even in the early stages. Um, Boy. So, I agree. And actually, I was going to mention this before we moved on, but I was stating um, earlier, the week, earlier in the week that I personally would like to see more of a long relief direction taken with the team like we had potentially looked at back in what was it 2017 or so when everyone was saying how good the long relievers were you know um, and how good the bullpen was at the time you used Mero Petit Blake Parker all the pitchers that were throwing long relief Jesse Chavez everyone um, in that long relief role people seem to definitely take to it pretty well but the thing is I think that having kind of a more, what am I looking for, um, spontaneous pitching role right. Not would be more effective 
than having it be the same primary every single five days. Cambridgeian. <laughs> when you have, if you have Tyler Skaggs throw three innings, and then follow that up with three innings of Felix Pena, and then follow that up with three innings of Andrew Heaney, and then three days later they do the exact same thing or some other variation of that in a different order, you're still getting the same length that you wanted, the same rest that you needed, but it's more unpredictable. And when you do that kind of thing, I feel like other lineups won't be able to prepare as easily for, you know, the matchup changes, for the handedness changes, all those things. I think that going that kind of route would be the next step past the opener route. Right. You can even use an opener for one inning and then go that route. You could go you could have somebody look to be the long reliever that day and then go six full innings. <sighs> You can be unpredictable, and with that unpredictability will come success because people can't prepare for that. I think I think ultimately what you're going to see in baseball is maybe a pitcher going one time through the lineup, and if it's going well, if he's allowed nothing across the board, maybe you give him a couple more hitters. Because obviously what's hurting the pitchers is seeing the same guys over and over again. So... <clears throat> If he's allowed two hits over nine nine hitters, you'll probably just take him out, throw on the next guy. The next guy goes two and a third, two and two thirds innings until they get through one through nine, and see the next guy. So I think that that's ultimately what's going to happen. Um, obviously, the best starters, the best pitchers in the game, will still be able to resist that and just have a normal start. But that's kind of along the lines of what Rick was suggesting in terms of the piggyback three innings. Although instead of three innings, it would be nine hitters flat. Yeah, and something like yeah. something to that effect is something I think that'd be very effective. And the other thing is, you know, kind of moving away from the one inning guy altogether. Maybe you have one or two that goes one inning, but in general, most people are kind of ha- are selected to be long relievers. You know, instead, there's right. a lot of guys that get paid very very little and become very effective long relief, but starters get paid a lot. And as far as salary allocation, it might be very a very effective tool. Um, you never know. So yeah, just, just basically making pitchers more the same, shortening the starters, lengthening the relievers, exactly. so that everyone's yeah. just the same. You can bring in anyone who's available, anyone who's not tired on any specific day. Right. You just have pitchers. You don't have roles, and you know, like mm-hmm. at Halo Seven, we love our roles. Yeah. But um, you know, you're, you're just a pitcher, and you can go according to matchup. Um, it's like uh, the best example I can think of. It was like last year's NLCS uh, was the Brewers and the Dodgers, and it was I mean maybe like a minute or two before game the game started. Uh, Craig Council comes out with his opener, and totally changes from the announced pitcher. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, and I mean you, you know like the Brewers have been doing that kind of stuff throughout the postseason, and they took the Dodgers to the very limit of that series so yep and i mean maybe that's a better or more accurate approach for how you could do it in the postseason um i don't know like for me it's just like for the regular season like you have so many games and so many innings i have like it could be like a little harder to kind of juggle that like that's a lot of oh man like planning instead of just having a guy you know every fifth day and then just kind of go from there with the bullpen but um I think for right now, like, you know, we're just going to have to kind of stick with that rotation until they find out how to actually implement that kind of plan. But 
One last point I'm going to make before we move on. Um, I was, for example, I was looking at Trevor Cahill's um, splits earlier today, and his first time through the order is pretty darn good. It's like a 600 OPS or something like that. But his second and third time through the order are like 1,000 plus. And the thing is, I think that as far as performance gap-wise, the best pitchers compared to the worst pitchers, the gap is much smaller the first time through the order than it is the second or third time through. Yeah. Which is why I think that's the way baseball is going to move. Yeah. Because they're going to take advantage of that situation. They're going to be like, you know what? I don't have a lot of money. For example, the Rays or the A's or whatever. They're And they're always the ones that are leading the charge because they're the ones who have to work with the least. Right. So they're going to look at that and they're going to say, you know, this guy is really, really good the first time through the order. So we're going to make him a three-inning guy. Not, or, or like you said, nine, nine batter guy. Yeah. You know? And then the next guy. This guy's really good the first two times through the order. We can probably rely on him for 15 to 18 batters. And so on and so forth, and they can use that spontaneity in order to find success across the entire season. And the thing is, hitters are going to have to adjust to that too. It's going to be a lot harder to have, uh, you know, lefty specialists like Joey Gallo and stuff. He has to start hitting lefties. You can't only expect to hit righties anymore. You're going to have to be able to hit both sides of the arm, uh, of the body, wait, arm. <laughs> <laughs> both sides of the body, and if you can't, well, then what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself out of baseball pretty fast, and obviously it's a tough game, it's a tough business, um, but I think that's the way baseball's going to trend. Adapt or die. Yep. Well, so I don't want to get off like the rails too much, but I have been thinking about this because he has been rehabbing in Salt Lake, so it's like, don't you think that J.C. Ramirez could possibly have kind of that multi-pitching flex role that you're kind of talking to about or alluding to. Like, you know, he could, you know, they stretch him out as a starter before he went down with Tommy John. Uh, initially came out of the bullpen with the Reds. Um, that does kind of have me like, you know, for me, like, he seems like the perfect candidate to kind of fill in a role almost similar to Felix Pena's. But if you have multiple guys like that on the roster, that allows you to kind of do what you're kind of alluding to and just kind of, you know, uh, not having a constant set pitching rotation. And J.C. Ramirez is one of those 2017 guys that I'm actually talking about, too. Oh, yeah, because right. the thing was, as a reliever, his 99-mile-per-hour sinker, and, I mean, he had, he had some really great stuff. But when he was stretched out as a starter, at first, he was throwing gas. And that's about when I started writing, too, for Halo's Heaven. And I made that article about yeah. J.C. Ramirez just before I started... And the thing was, as a result of all of his stuff and everything, I was like, oh, he's going to be an elite. But he started wanting to go further into games. He wanted to go deeper. He wanted to go past five innings. He wanted to go to six, seven. And so as a result, he started slowing down. He started pitching to contact more. He dropped his velocity close to like 93, 94, 95, and he started getting hit. And I think that maybe somewhere in between... Right. Would maximize the returns on him. You know, with a 99 mile an hour fastball, 98 mile an hour fastball, going three innings, that's very, very solid. But when you start trying to go deeper into games, like he, like, like he actually said, you have to learn how to pitch to contact and pitch so that you can go deeper into those games. You can't always be striking every single guy out. If you're always going for Ks, 
you're never gonna go deep into the game get out of the game quick yeah i just want to say one more thing real quickly on this whole three inning slash nine batter thing and then we can move on oh so a lot of the things that fans on particular on haley's heaven complain about is when a pitcher enters the game and they quote-unquote don't have it per se so like they throw a couple in the dirt they throw them outside they're not hitting their catcher spots they give them a hit per se the problem with the strategy, the only flaw I could find, because it's a good strategy, it makes a lot of sense, is that if you have a guy scheduled to go nine hitters and he doesn't get there and everyone else is worn out from going their nine hitters yesterday or the day before and you have some set guys you need to pitch and he doesn't have it on one particular day, then you're in a little bit of a tricky spot. So I think that's the only problem I could see off the bat because then fans will be asking the manager, why didn't you pull that guy? And the manager will, will say, well, I knew he didn't have it. Like, sometimes they know a starter doesn't have it in the first <laughs> inning. But I need I needed him to get those innings. Because if they didn't get those innings, we'd have no one left to pitch the end of the game. So that's – there might be some fine line we can work with there. Or with the, with the uh, evolution of the game, more two-way players, you have maybe 14, maybe 15, 16 pitchers. Uh, because some of them can hit as well and play the field. And that is part of the reason why I was saying maybe having like nine or ten of those three-inning guys kind of alleviates that problem. If he doesn't have it one day, maybe next day after he's thrown only ten pitches, he'll have it that day. Throw him back out there for an inning or two. Exactly. And, yeah. So that's the reason why I'm saying that maybe having more of those short, shorter long relief guys <laughs> right. would be an effective tool um, over, you know, throwing your starter out there for six innings because you absolutely have to. Right. Which might, it would just be a shorter version of the same thing. Like we need this guy to get through three innings because we don't have anyone else. But honestly, this could be probably a whole other podcast in itself. And I'd be, I'd be interested. (laughs) Well, it has been a whole other podcast. We should probably move on. I'd be interested (laughs) in delving into this topic. Yeah. But yeah, we should, uh, so what is it? Meh hitters, right? Meh hitters. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the part where, where Jessica would definitely say, Hey, um, we've lingered on this for a while. It's been like 10 minutes. (laughs) Segway. Yeah. (laughs) So meh hitters. So as far as meh hitters, we already went over Pueo. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I didn't mention him in the bad, Jonathan Lucroy. (laughs) He's, he's Um, automatically the bad. It's assumed he's bad. Yeah, exactly. Only because his 438 on base percentage made me forget about him for a second because um, he wasn't near the bottom. Um, his defense was atrocious as always. His game calling was atrocious as always. Mm-hmm. Um, but he definitely got on base a lot. So There's positives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he and he literally he legitimately did though. When whenever he came to bat, like you you kind of assumed he was going to get on base this week. I always felt like he was on first, and it was he had a lot of singles and a lot of walks. So I'm just. I mean, it wasn't wrong. Meh. So meh. <laughs> meh. The yeah. one thing we noticed about Lucroy this week is that he does have one redeemable quality. He does work counts and take a lot of pitches. He's near the oh, top yeah. of the Angels in terms yeah. of pitches per plate appearance. He's well above four, maybe 4.35 or 4.37 if I can That's up there with Trout, right? Yeah, Trout, uh, Goodwin, the top guys. And you got to appreciate that about a guy, even if I hate him. Um, <laughs> he's got some. He, he like you said, he works counts. He also doesn't strike out a lot. He did this week. It looks like well three times. I mean that's not a lot, but um, for him that's a lot. <laughs> but yeah. as a whole, on the actual on the year uh, when he was qualified, I'm not sure if he still is qualified or not. But he was one of the top ten guys in avoiding strikeouts for the team for a while. Yeah. 
If you think so, if you think about it, those types of hitters, him, Simmons, Fletcher, those are the kinds of guys who ground into double plays easily because they're hitting mm-hmm. liners sometimes if they get a little bit on top of it when they're trying to hit that liner, it just is a grounder right at an infielder. And that's kind of what happened in today's game in the eighth inning when we needed a clutch just lifting a fly ball out to the outfield. He grounded it into a double play. And that was a rally killer. But it's kind of the trade off that you take strikeouts versus making contact and hitting into more double plays. But yeah, he is borderline bad. Meh. Defense <laughs> is always going to drag him down, in my opinion. I, mean, I guess for me, like the only thing I'll add about Lucroy is like I know we're specifically just talking about offensively, but it's like you can't separate the two when you see what he does on a frequent basis behind the plate. It's just like you can't just think of like I mean he could have had a thousand OPS, but if he had like ten more like pass balls and everything like that, like you would still like you feel conflicted because like he does have times where. I mean, especially earlier in the season where he was pretty solid at the plate. I mean, for a while he was sporting like, you know, like an 800 OPS, uh, just like a pretty solid bat. And then as soon as the offense started going down, you started knowing, noticing that defense kind of rearing its ugly head in a little bit more. And uh, uh, yeah, it's it has been, it's been a tough go for Luke, but meh this week, but we'll gloss over. I think it's going to be meh for a lot of, a lot of these other podcasts, but a lot of these weekly rankings, but <laughs> Luke's father was very disappointed in him today. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he also had that in addition to the ground and double play. He also had that really, really bad. Uh, well, it, it was a, it was called a wild pitch, right? Yeah. In the eighth inning. Generously. Um, how many does he have this year? Is it like 20, 30? No, like the it... wild pitches. The angels are at 34 or something like that. And he's what thirty of them? <laughs> I'm sure. You gotta ask the it's official. Something... You gotta ask the official official score whether it's a pass ball or a wild pitch. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like every. A... I think I think he pays the scorer on the side <laughs> like like hey, call it a wild pitch. Blame the pitcher. Like it's 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 really bad how frequently it happens. Like when it gets to a certain point where you are far and away the worst at, like, wild pitches or one of the worst at wild pitches, um, it definitely needs to be take a look at, t- taking a look at whether or not it's the pitcher or whether it's the catcher. Oh, wow, never mind. We're at 45 wild pitches on the year. Holy oh, crap. And <laughs> second place, Texas, is at 36. So that's a 20% difference right there. <laughs> but, they have, but they have Mathis. How's that? <laughs> yeah, their pitches are probably just wild. But think about this, that... We're 20% higher than second place. And we're more than... Cincinnati has 12. We're four times Cincinnati. Wow. Well, you know that I haven't been shy about criticizing Luke Roy on the show. <laughs> Frequent listeners will, will remember <laughs> the, the last episode where I compared Luke Roy to several other things. And so um, I'm going to do a couple more. I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm not. <laughs> we, we spent a long time on him last week. Everyone knows. And we have um, one more meh hitter. We do have one more meh hitter. We're going to have to go over Albert Pujols now. <sighs> yeah, Pujols as a part-time player, uh, pretty okay. He had a good game today, Seven oh six. I think he was on the higher side of meh, personally. Yeah. <laughs> because he had the, I mean, the run support. He got on base. Um, I mean, not, not very he well, got he base. got on base every now and then. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> He also had multiple opportunities to ground into a double play today, and he did not. Yeah, the sack fly. He had the sacrifice fly, he had the line drive single, and he had the walk. 
all with a runner on first. And so I was I was less than unimpressed with him this week. <laughs> meh, meh, yeah. Le- less than unimpressed. Less than. Okay. Uh, at least it gets positive from here, but uh, bat, uh, good pitchers. Yeah. All right. So positive pitcher side. Every, every, most of the pitchers were pretty good. I did put Heaney in meh, but I know some may, you might be clamoring for him in the good because he had a 1.8 ERA. Uh, all, because he pitched around things? Yeah. The four relievers didn't allow any runs, and they were in a lot of games. Uh, Anderson, Bedrosian, Noe, and Robles. Who do you want to start with? Well, I kind of want to put a little... Well, we have only have so much time now because we've spent so much time on other things. But uh, I want to put a little spotlight on Cam Bedrosian for a second because he was absolutely phenomenal the past week. I mean, he had four and a third innings pitch, which is the second most of the good pitchers that we're going to spotlight. Right. Only three hits allowed. No walks for Bedrosian. No walks. They're absolutely none. crazy. That's huge. And six strikeouts with a 69 whip. I mean, that is... Nice fantastic it felt every single time like he came in like that inning was secure even in the extra inning efforts not extra inning but like the over one innings yeah when he went 1.1 exactly it felt like it was still gonna be okay he had in the bag I, I, know, I don't know what's come over him, but it feels like 2016 Bedrosian again, and I love it. I noted this in the last last appearance, or last uh, second to last appearance he had, but when he walked off the mound, he had swag. He looked like he knew he was going to get you out, and there was nothing you could do about it. And I think that's the confidence we need. Obviously, the confidence comes from the results, and that's probably one of the only reasons he has the confidence. But that that's really good to see. And with everyone else falling by the wayside in the bullpen, that's... Awesome from Bedrosian. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I don't really have much else to add about Cam other than you know don't have him come in with runners on base. The usual. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's still where I get like a little uncomfortable with it. Um, but you know that could just be what's helping him uh, kind of get in this groove recently. Is they've having they're having him start with you know fresh innings, uh, and that could just be as simple as being a mental thing for him. Um, but I mean, the dude's just been rock solid, and I I trust him more than Butchery right now, currently, currently, um, in a I guess like a setup man sort of role. I mean, that's what Rick and I were saying right before we started recording this. Like, you know, he's kind of looks like he's starting to t- sort of turn into that seventh, eighth inning role that we all kind of hoped he would turn into when he first came up. But um, he's kind of gone from a meme into a our, our savior right now. I mean, he's. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. As from like the bullpen is pretty bad right now. But imagine how much worse it could be if Bedrosian was his normal self. I'll, I'm just gonna leave that there. Right. So long as he doesn't get injured, I think he's going to continue this success because he did the same thing in 2016 up until that injury he had at the end of the season. It's, um, blood clot, right? It was, was a. I think it was a blood clot. Yeah, right? I think he had a blood clot in his pitching arm. Yeah, and his yeah. velocity never came back. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so long as that doesn't happen again, I think that he's figured out how to pitch with lower velocity is the thing. And also, I think that the the addition of his changeup, his split change, has helped him a great deal. I think that's the reason for the success, because before he was just a two-pitch guy. Fastball slider. And now he's added that changeup, which has really just like put him over the top. And 
early in the season he was kind of trying to work through it. You know, he had that one bad game against Texas where we threw him out for what, like almost like three innings straight. Yeah. Just let him go to the dogs or whatever. But outside of that one game, I think I think it was something like since since that game, after that game, he's had like a 1.4 ERA and that's been like a t- like a lot of innings. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um I mean that's a also, I mean, he's also been the primary opener for Felix, so it's just like, you know, yeah. he's kind of, they're using him in all sorts of roles, and he's been super reliable. But this actually, this is the guy I, I'm super excited about, is Noe Ramirez. So this is like my next, um, I will always root for Noe. Uh, I haven't, it hasn't always been easy to be on the <laughs> Noe train, but, I mean, the dude has just been amazing in this sort of like, you know, what you were, like this like multi-inning role, like, you know, he's never, obviously he kind of bucks the trend of Epler with like the hard throwers or whatever. He's just kind of a funky delivery junk baller. But I mean, the dude has just been awesome in this sort of role wherever he's coming in and we need two, three innings whenever the starter doesn't get deep. He's been awesome. Yeah, it's almost the point where you like to see him pitch more in shorter stints because he went one, he only had one appearance this week in six games, 2.2 innings, scoreless. And if he's able to continue that kind of trend, you want him to be the guy in games and not the the other guys of the world, the Garcias. Yeah. Now, I was going was, was to say Justin Anderson, but I know okay. you really liked Justin Anderson and you talked about his usage <laughs> and how how it's been pretty I mean, low. He didn't allow any yeah. hits this week. Yeah. In two innings pitched, he was very solid. Um I was going to say, it's a complete dichotomy between him and Hansel Robles, who also allowed no earned runs, but um, pitched around a ton. Oh, yeah, a lot, <laughs> of hits. a lot of hits. So um, they both were very, very solid this week in different ways. Um, Robles didn't... Did he blow any saves? I don't think he did. No, oh, yeah, no, 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 he blew no saves. Only Buttry did. Yeah, only Buttry, okay. No, Hansel's been a little, you know, he's he's been treading nice a little bit, but I mean, that's just part of it, like... Sometimes you're just not going to be as sharp, and you just kind of got to work through your mechanics, or sometimes you're just not feeling it that night. I think he's doing a good job of that. Yeah, just both both Anderson and Robles, they went about their business different ways. Robles didn't walk anyone while Anderson walked a batter in inning, but they both didn't allow any runs, and that's ultimately what helped us get four wins on the week, which was very unexpected. Oh, yeah. So as far as the good hitters go, um, I think Brian Goodwin... Um, he was on the very high side of meh, which kind of rounds up to low good. <laughs> yeah, he's hitting for his job, basically. Exactly. And he, I mean, he got on base um, a decent amount. He hit A enough. decent amount. That's You have to say the number. It's really good. 357. 357. His average, though, was 308. So, I mean, most of it was in the average. He had, like, one walk and maybe a hit by pitch or something like that. And then his OPS was 742. It's so, singles. I mean, he definitely it's awesome. pitched. Singles. He, he pitched. He definitely hit um, like a league average hitter, which right. is something we will definitely take from our fourth or fifth outfielder. He he had that throw today too. Oh yeah, yeah. That throw was that was a cannon. You like, never, <laughs> never mind. I, I I take back what I said. He is bumped up to good. Yeah, he was good from low good because that throw was spectacular. That was that was Cole Calhoun level throw out of um, noodles level arm. If you if you look at it if you look at the replay it doesn't even look like Meadows is running hard as if he thinks oh I'm just gonna score because it's Goodwin but then exactly and then he comes into view of the camera and the ball's there already it's it's pretty awesome 
Yeah, that was that was spectacular. So I changed my mind. Because of that throw, I bump him from low good to middle good. Middle good. The funny thing with Goodwin uh, compared to some of the other guys, like Trout. Trout had a higher OPS but did worse. Worse, excuse me. And almost every other facet of the game, he struck out eight times. He had a lower on base. He only hit 182. And if not for the two home runs that he hit, which were pretty impressive home runs, by the way, uh, we could be looking at a meh Trout week. But I think Trout has to be pretty bad to drop him. He made a lot of hard contact, which is the reason. I mean, it seemed like even his single that he had was like, you know, double or triple level rocket. (laughs) Hard contact, exactly. So, I mean, it's hard hard to – I know the batting average wasn't there. He's had a lot of um, batting average on ball and play um, unfortunate. It's the worst of, his, worst of his career. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's had a lot of problems with um, luck. <laughs> but as far as power and as far as performance, it's still there. Like, he, he, he definitely came through big this week with four RBIs. Um, second most on the team tied oh, with three other people. I, the, the context of those home runs is huge too, because like mm-hmm. not like the first home run uh, against the Dodgers was off of Floro tie the game. Who, if yeah. like, if you're not counting Jansen, like that's the Dodgers' best reliever, and then he went deep off of Diego Castillo today, who's like one of the Rays sort of go to. I think he's like the the he's de closer, facto right? closer. Yeah, right yeah. yeah. with with, with um, Alvarado gone. Yeah, but um. And, you know, he's been hit, like, the... And they've been in, like, key situations. Like, yeah, he came up short today, but that home run against the Dodgers was huge. And he had that... Uh, obviously, he had the one today to at least get the game within, you know, close enough within a run before Cole got hosed on that call. But, um, you know, people talk about Trout with, like, the anti-clutch stuff or whatever, but it's like, man, he had two clutch dingers this week. Like, not a, not his best week, but if you can get an 800 OPS out of, like, a... Subpar week. That's yeah. <laughs> that's a special player right there. So with David Fletcher, um, his OPS wasn't much higher, but I felt like he was just as important this week. Yeah. The 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 funny thing with Fletcher this week is that his average was actually higher than his on base percentage because of a sack fly. Um, yeah. And he he was out at the beginning part of the week. He had a sore shoulder. Um, came in as a defensive replacement and then started the other four games. And he was. He's very useful, in essence. He basically won Saturday's game for us, and just having him there instead of, say, Tovar, I think it's it gives me as a fan, as a watcher, a lot better presence of mind to know that there actually is a clutch bat, a guy who won't strike out that much. He struck out two times this week, which is a lot for him, <laughs> and just play solid defense, be a very solid, unnoticeable player. And that's really good. That's really good that we have him. Yeah. And that homer was incredibly point, incredibly important. Oh, dude, was off Morton too. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> um, he's just quickly like becoming like such a fan favorite and like almost like a kind of cult figure for like Angels fans. Like he's just this like the little engine that could. Like he's just like this player that doesn't seem like he should just be so pesky. And like I love those types of players that. He'll flare a base hit in. He'll make like a really good play. He's just a smart base runner. He's just those guys that opposing teams hate, but when he's on your team, you know you just absolutely adore him. Like he's quickly becoming like a favorite of mine. Love Fletcher. And in the really good department, um, I'm gonna go ahead and put Justin Bohr and Kevin Smith together because they both only had a few plate appearances with three home runs between the 
between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Seven strikeouts between the two of them. Um, Boom so or bust, didn't play yeah. Very much, but they were both, and, and actually they both came up big in three separate wins, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah, Justin Bohr homered in the two, just the two games that he had because we faced a, a lot of lefties this week. And I think I'm really happy oh, wait, to see Oh, I'm sorry, no, Bohr and Kevin Smith did have the home run in the same game. Um, yes, yes. It was the yeah, Morton game. Yeah, that was the Morton game. And so um, three people hit homers off of Morton to completely shatter his uh, his homerless. And it's the usual. <laughs> no, 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 no. Smith's homer wasn't off Morton. But yeah, the point stands. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, Bohr still was. And that and that's just embarrassing. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if Justin Bohr homers off you. We, we all know who was number one on the week, though. Um, yeah. He, he actually... I mean, he led the team in batting average. He led the team in on base percentage. He was second best on the team in slugging percentage. Um, he hit for the cycle. He had the most triples on the team. <laughs> he was tied for the most walks. I mean, this was incredible. And he also was the only person who stole any bases, and he stole two. So he completely stole the show this week. OPS of 1.422, which is basically Barry Bonds' peak season. Uh, if you think about Shohei's week and Barry Bonds for a whole season. Anyway, yeah, it was very impressive. Nine hits, 20 at-bats. Uh, he showed a lot of patience at the plate. He took some tough pitches. He worked some tough walks. I think he's locked in. I said last the week... The underrated part? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I said last week that it looked like he was only hitting the, the, the pitches at the top of the zone, but this week he was covering the entire plate. Yeah. And I was going to say, the underrated part is that he did the cycle on the road against the Rays. I don't, I don't, I don't understand what that... I <laughs> just don't understand. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, he usually hits everything at home. He usually hits all of his home runs at home. All right, the, moving on. And so he did it on the road. You know, usually he hits all of his homers into the either the rock <clears throat> pile or just over that wall, yeah, just above the, the right yellow wall. Just but... above the yellow line. Or... Um, and that's basically it for his home runs usually. But as far as like he did it at the trope, and he did it against the Rays, which are a very very good team. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I mean, I think that was just cluster luck that he hit a lot of home runs at home last year. I'm um, I'm gonna be honest. I think it was just cluster luck. I mean, it's been like for a year now. So. Right. <laughs> but it's only it's only like twenty home runs. So. At some point, you get some variations, some crazy variations. I think it's all the Asian fans they keep panning over to after his home run. Yes, they they need to make sure they have someone to pan over to. So exactly, he saves if his home runs. If they're, <laughs> if they're on the road, there's no guarantee there's any Japanese fans. <laughs> um, no, I mean the only thing I really want to add about Shohei is he obviously looks locked in right now. Uh, there's a couple of things that you always notice when Shohei's kind of going at his best. Um, I think I think it was you, Jeffrey. Actually, I saw a comment basically saying that he's staying closed a lot. Oh a lot yeah, better. for His sure. Trips aren't flying yeah. open. Um, that's when he just kind of rolls over a, a ground ball, or you know, just misses entirely, especially on pitches inside. But when Shohei's going his best, he's hitting center to opposite fields, like with authority. Like when he's hitting home runs, like when he's at his best, they're always kind of like that left center sort of. Uh, or like I mean, even last year, like the best example I could think of was when he took. Clevenger deep in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his first home run on the road, but he, you know, went like total opposite side of the field for the first home run. And he took Clevenger deep again, and it was a monster to the right field. Like I, like I've just, you know, it's obviously still a small enough sample, but you can tell when Shohei's going at his best whenever he's hitting into all fields. Yeah, you know and- what I just realized. 
I just realized that Chase and I went to the Tacoma Rainiers San Antonio Missions game right. on Wednesday, and I was talking about to him about Otani, and he told me that Otani's not back that day. And the very next day, I just realized the very next day he hits the for the cycle. <laughs> oh, that was it. Was the very was, next that day? That was the day after the game. Yeah, it was Thursday, the first day of the ra- of the race series. Wow. On Wednesday is my off day. <laughs> so hey, Chase is the reason why he hit for the cycle because he didn't believe in it. I am absolutely here for it. If I had to jinx all of our players into like you know like I mean Trout looks awful right now. I know, <laughs> right? Just, Terrible. I know. I just said that 800 OPS was like pretty solid, but like man, like what's that batting average? Like <laughs> how many how many ribbies did he have? Did he even, was he even driving in people? Like I I will I will eat as much crow as possible if it means that. You know, our guys are lighting it up and hitting for the cycle, apparently. But Yeah. All right. So we know that Chase is responsible for the week. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Split against Tampa Bay. That's big. That's big. No, but, but in all seriousness, though, we really have to do talk. We have to talk about a serious topic. Um, Jeffrey, would you like to uh, go into the uh, Tovar experience? Yeah, it's, it's very depressing if you think about it. Um, ever since we ne- called up a backup, backup middle infielder, Wilfredo Tovar, he's played in all nine games, which is really interesting if you think about it. Uh, some guys are dropping like flies. Fletcher was injured. Lestello was injured. Renhifo needed a day off. And every single time that Tovar reaches base twice or he has two total bases, the Angels lose without fail. If he walked twice, the Angels lose. He hit a double, the Angels lose. And every time he doesn't do that, the Angels win. 100% correlation. We're 5-4 and four in the games Tovar has played. Four of those games, circumstances have happened. When he hasn't reached base at all, the Angels win. What do you have to say about that? Well, more specifically, and this is the other part, is that the Angels win 5-3 to three every single time he doesn't have two bases. And every time he does... They lose, like you said. But here's the really the really interesting thing. He has gone... The team has gone... I'm sorry, not he. But, I mean, obviously he's responsible for this. The yes. team has gone 5-3 and three over the past eight games. And yesterday, they had also been 5-3 and three over the past eight games. And that's all nine games that Tovar has been with the team. That's basically... So, he's covering it. He's covering it all. Wilfredo Tovar is either unwittingly or Osmus is intentionally doing this. Wilfredo Tovar is directly responsible for the 5-3 curse. It all started with him, and it will end with him. If we send him down, it's going to go away. Oh, for sure. I don't, know if we don't, I don't know if we want that, though, because here's the thing. If this 5-3 curse continues through the end of the season, we'll have 90 wins. So you're saying if we win five out of every eight games for the rest of the season, that results in 90 wins? Exactly. We'll if take we that. If we win every single game that we win, five to three, and win out that way. Man. Rick, I guess we can trade Andrelton. Exactly. I'll take the 90 wins, man. We can definitely trade Andrelton Simmons, because Andrelton Simmons doesn't have a curse upon him. That gives you a sixty-two point five winning, sixty-two point five percent winning percentage. Oh, you've really thought about thought about everything. <laughs> and you know, at this well, at this rate, it's absolutely okay for Tovar not to reach base. I mean, if you think about it, 
If he's reaching base, every time he reaches base, he's hurting the team. Detriment. Yeah, he's hurting the team by reaching base. When he hit that double, Jeffrey and I literally talked to each other and said, "Oh crap, (sighs) game's over. (sighs) Game's over." It's not even a joke. In the second inning, we were like, "Oh crap, we lost," but that's okay because we knew that we had to lose today in order to continue the five to three. Tomorrow we must win because we won eight games ago. And then the day after that, we have to lose. So we're going to have to suffer for a little bit more through this. This uh, up and down, friend not zone getting to 500. With yeah. 500, exactly. We're going to have to suffer through it just a little bit longer. But by Saturday, we will be above 500. In fact, wow. I think it's by Friday, might I'd, even be. I'd hope we could beat the Blue Jays. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if we took three of four from the Blue Jays and two of three from the Cardinals, we are still continuing that 5 3. And that is a completely realistic scenario, is it not? <laughs> uh, I think that's going to happen for sure. The, I think so. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say what I think just yet about what our record's going to be over the next seven days. But I think you have, though. But I think you can predict what my record will be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, f- I figured we'd be wrapping up soon. Uh, just talking about Tovar a little bit more. It had me a little food for thought. If you had to keep one on the roster, Tovar or Cozart, who are you sticking with? I've already said my piece. And I think you know <laughs> who I'll conspiracy. keep. Conspiracy, okay, okay. I like it. I'd have to see uh, Cozart's record with, when he's with the Angels, but I don't think it's as good as... Here, here's here's wh- the thing. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Re- concerning the Cozart-Tovar debate, it's my opinion that Cozart was never fully healthy this year. And if that is the case... If we give him time to fully get healthy, I will take a healthy Cozart over Tovar every single day of the week. That's fair. But we don't know when he's going to get back. We don't know if it's going to even happen this season. We don't even know if it's going to happen for the rest of his career because the left shoulder is so important because it's basically the hitting mechanics. If you can't rotate your shoulders, you can't hit. And what we saw was him popping up a lot, him opening up his shoulders, him rolling over, and that's a product... I think, personally, of the injury not being fully healed. And if he's injured, then Cozart will be definitely a detriment to this team. So it all depends on his shoulder. Because Cozart has definitely shown that he is a major league player, just not when he's injured. I have two things to add to that. One thing is that Cozart doesn't have the 5-3 curse associated with him. Of course. So there's that. But number two, we always leave fans and listeners of the show with a little wisdom oh and i just want to mention that 100 percent correlation completely equals 100 percent exactly never without fail every anytime every you see one of those time. yeah it is 100 percent manipulatable and i have to imagine that big brain brad with his iq of 200 has definitely recognized this trend and expects it to continue so the thing is, we were always destined to lose that Snell game. Because otherwise, it wouldn't have been 5-3. and three. We were always destined to lose today. When they hit that double, obviously it was very heartbreaking. But was, Jeffrey and I knew it was, it was we in the lose. stars. Yeah, yeah, we knew we were going to lose anyway, but it was still heartbreaking to see the loss. <sighs> but, I mean, tomorrow we see Edwin Jackson with the 10-plus ERA, which is obviously, um, I mean... 
that there's a good chance we might win that game. And then the day after that is Marcus oh. Stroman, who's the strongest pitcher for the Blue Jays, which is a game we're supposed to lose. Which I mean, that kind of correlates. I, I think it's. I think that means the opposite. I. Uh, I you don't know. You uh, don't believe I think, strongly I think, enough. No, I, yeah. I think Jackson is gonna. I think Jackson is gonna dominate. <laughs> I don't think you believe strongly enough. Okay, it's uh, like man, I'm a lifelong Angels fan. I can't believe in. I don't know if you've ever seen Elf. Okay, but in the movie Elf, when they believed really hard, Santa's jet engine sleigh flew. Okay. <laughs> And that's how the angels are. <laughs> Slay had a jet engine? Yes, it did. I they had a reindeer. Yeah, well, well not enough. I, I, it would just be, to me, it would be very angels if Edwin Jackson ended up deep shoving and we ended up losing a really frustrating game. And I look forward to that game thread and that comment, that post game. <laughs> when, we beat, when we beat Edwin Jackson tomorrow. You will see the light. When we beat him 5-3. to three. Oh, yes. When we beat him 5-3. to three. On the back of Tovar not getting on base twice or having a double, you will see. You will see the light. All right, folks. Take some man. Yeah, that that takes I mean, us. We've already convinced you, okay? <laughs> Just because you don't want to listen to the evidence doesn't mean it's not right in front of your face. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> we it, it, have identified a perfect trend with a huge sample size of nine games. Which is all we have, because that's the hundred percent of the total sample size there is. There, Tovar wasn't in the majors to begin the year; otherwise, we would have been five and three the entire year. And like I said, look at all these fives and threes on his stat line for the past week: five twenty-three at bats, five hits, three doubles, five strikeouts. And by the way, those three doubles directly correlate to three losses on those exact same days. Yeah, which is also the number three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> so when we inevitably go, what's it going to be? It's it would be the four game series against Toronto and, and three against St. Louis. Against yeah, St. Louis. And I so think they win, have a day off loss, after that. win, 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 loss, <laughs> win. Right. So so that's five and two. Five yeah. and two. Yeah can't lose on the day off. five and two and i'm not gonna predict that okay because last week last week i predicted oh and six and it turned out to be a good thing i'm gonna say the same thing again oh and six again to continue i think it's five and i think it's gonna three. be really hard for us to go oh and six and seven games like really hard seven games yeah Oh and six <laughs> in because seven games. that completely matches what i said last week all right yeah we're going to go 0-6. One game is going to be rained out. <laughs> That's my prediction. What oh, yeah. about you, Chase? What do you think we're going to do? Uh, St. Louis is tough to peg. Um, kind of an underwhelming team a little bit this year. Uh, pitching has, you know, which is like the kind of the Cardinals' whole thing. Not really their strong suit. But, uh, you know, we're going to get Upton back. Probably have Angleton back. Uh, I think they're going to... I think five, five and two. I'll stick with five and two. <laughs> just for you, Rick. Just for you. But realistically, you know, we're going to get a couple guys back from the IL. Sorry, I, I, I still want to say the DL. The IL. Uh, they're going to sh- shake off some rust. Uh, it could be a little bit of a rough go, but, you know, we love facing the Blue Jays. It's always a great trip, you know, <laughs> especially now. So I'll go five and two just for you. Just for you, Rick. He sees the light. He doesn't want to admit it. Oh, yeah. It. 
and you know, I think we're going to go five and two. Uh, seeing the pitchers that the Blue Jays are throwing out, Edwin Jackson with his over ten ERA this season, Marcus Stroman, who's been good. Um, that's Stroman will match up against Skaggs. Jackson will match up against probably uh, Luis Garcia and Felix Pena. The combination of them. Game three, Andrew Heaney against Aaron Sanchez. Sanchez has an over five ERA, and I think we're slated to win that game. And then game four, Jose Suarez against Clayton Richard. And Clayton Richard is your prototype soft-tossing lefty. So we're definitely getting complete game shutout in that one because, yeah, he oh, yeah. has a 7.52 ERA, and we can't hit him for a lick. On the Cardinals' side, so for the Angels, Trevor Cahill is almost back. And although he's not slated to pitch in the, the Blue Jays series, he's probably going to pitch in the Cardinals series maybe Friday. The way the Cardinals line up as it stands, Friday they'll probably have Dakota Hudson, 3.55 ERA. Saturday, Miles Mikolas, who's been, he has electric stuff, but he's kind of tailed off in his last seven outings, uh, boosting his, increasing his season's ERA to 4.83. And on Sunday, our big Sunday night baseball game, Jack Flaherty, uh, 4.28 ERA. The important thing to remember about these St. Louis games is that because there's no DH, Shohei Otani not be playing and we'll lose one of our best bats so that yeah. that might come back to hurt us but i think five and two i'm gonna go five and two i think that you're a wise man jeffrey thank you rick it means a lot i do have to say that dakota hudson was one of the people that i wanted in my if i were epler piece and he has been phenomenal this year and i would love love to have had him i would have loved we, we we all get one right every once in a while, right? <laughs> every <laughs> once in a while. Blind on the nut, right? <laughs> yep. I definitely found a nut there. So, anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and yeah. close up for the evening now. Thoughts, After yeah. all, it has been 77 minutes of us talking. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you stopping on by, giving us a listen, welcoming Chase as he makes his yeah made an appearance podcast debut yeah it was fun guys i definitely i'll definitely have to come back yeah yep his maiden voyage went very well we look forward to seeing you guys next time have a great day and we look forward to hearing your thoughts on the tow bar curse (laughs) bye guys